0: Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Last, uh, here last week. We we're talking about beginning generation, just what the Bible says, and just weaving a little bit of my own experience uh, when I was a kid from uh, 1 to 18. So uh, I just like to verbalize the thing. So as we come to faith in Christ, we know, number one, I learned this, that there's no accidents in God's eyes and handling our birth, whether we had noble birth or ignoble birth. Uh, number two, I learned that when my father and mother forsakes me, the Lord will take us up, and God does care for. the fatherless and the orphans. Uh, Third, uh, the Lord can uh, preserve you from sin and uh, because he sees your heart. And number four, that uh, we are accepted in Christ uh, and uh, just as we are. And uh, he loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Let me say amen on that, and then uh, five that uh, any of us can begin a new generation when we come into Christ, and we can break the power of past generations. If there's been um, uh, involvement, say in in lodges or uh, occultism, then I do believe that there needs to be a verbal renunciation. Uh, to the realm of the spirit and verbalize and break the power of the past generation. my case, as uh, you saw last week, as just a result of sin, although we're all born in sin, but uh, depending on the situation. And uh, number six, we found that we can turn life's negatives into positives, and finally that all things work together for good to those who love God. Everybody can say amen. All right, now what I want to talk tonight about is uh, the sheet that I've given you. How many appreciate the sheet? a lot of work I was going to punish you and not give you a sheet but Kevin means kindness so I'm going to live up to my I'm going to live up to my name okay all right I'd like you to turn your Bibles tonight and uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is becoming bitter or better let's turn over to uh, uh, let's see the first scripture that you've got there Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, and uh, we're just going to read the few verses there, verses 23 through to 26, Exodus 15 and verse 23 through to 26. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur uh, and they went uh, three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them and said, If you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, uh, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases uh, on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha, or I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Now, uh, you can just put this scripture down. It's not on your notes. But First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse uh, 6 and verse 11. I just want to quote it here. Uh, so that we uh, complete our lesson tonight. Uh, Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, and that's verse 6 and verse 11. Paul, in writing to the believers at Corinth, he uh, takes up a number of experiences from the nation of Israel, how they uh, came through the Red Sea and how they were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They drank of the spiritual meat, uh, a, a spiritual drink, and they ate of that spiritual meat. Uh, the rock that followed them was Christ. And Paul actually goes back to a lot of uh, Israel's Experiences, And he says, all these things happen unto them for types and examples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. Uh, it wasn't a type to them. It was a real experience. I mean, as they're passing through the Red Sea, plucking fish out of the waters there, they didn't say, isn't this a wonderful type? And when Pharaoh was after them, you know, they didn't say, isn't this a wonderful type? It was a real experience. But the Lord takes those real experiences of the nation of Israel and they become types and examples for us and they're written for our admonition. Now in the uh, scripture I've just read here by way of introduction, what we find in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1 through to 10, we find the nation of Israel in bondage, in bondage to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and just a picture of us before we came to Christ in bondage to Satan represented in Pharaoh and the Egyptians representing them principalities and powers, works of the flesh, slaves to sin that's Exodus chapters 1 through to 11 bondage. Exodus chapter 12 uh, they have the the feast of Passover where the whole nation is delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb and, and Paul writing again to Corinth he says Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb and we we just thank the, the Lord for his body and his precious blood everybody said amen and uh, Exodus, that's Exodus 12 Exodus 13 after they uh, experienced the deliverance by the blood of the Passover lamb uh, they come to the Red Sea and Paul likens that to the baptism of a nation he said they were all baptized under Moses who was the mediator of the old covenant under Moses in the cloud and in the sea so it's the water baptism of a nation so first we accept the blood of Christ and then we come to the truth of water baptism Exodus chapter 14 we have the account of the cloud Uh, The Shekinah glory cloud that went before them and the purpose of the cloud, the ministry of that cloud, because we're told God was in the cloud, uh, that cloud was to lead and guide them to the promised land. And so it's significant of the Holy Spirit who's to lead and to guide the church into the promises of God, into the promised land. And then now we come to Exodus chapter 15, the few verses we read. After they have had the blood of the Passover lamb, after they've been baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, The first place God brings them to was a place called Mara. Now, as you've got it on your notes, or maybe you haven't got it on your notes, the word Mara means bitterness. So, God brought them to Mara, and the waters were there, thereof bitter. And they called the place of that, uh, the name of that place Mara, which means bitterness. So, what God did after all that wonderful experience, and none of us are exempt from this, We receive the blood of the Lamb, we're cleansed uh, uh, from uh, our sin in His blood, we're washed. baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the cloud of the Spirit. God often brings us to our maras, and none of us are exempt from this. I want to talk a little bit about that, just in my experience, and not exalting above anybody else, because we all have it. So, uh, God uh, brings us to our maras, and the purpose of it is to test our response. Now, their response is not good. After all that the Lord had done for them, when he brings them to this marvelous place, they murmur against the Lord. They complain about it. And uh, But here God made a covenant with them and he turned the bitter waters to, uh, to sweet waters. By the revelation of the tree pointing to Calvary, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So what we're talking about tonight, becoming bitter or better, all of us will have our maras, all of us uh, do have our maras. I want you to turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, we have another uh, very interesting experience uh, with the Apostle John and uh, I put another scripture on the notes there that I'm not going to take the time to turn to but uh, I put it there for your uh, benefit and hope that it will help you and help you to help others. So Revelation chapter 10, and here John in uh, vision, he sees uh, an angel, I personally believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ a Christophany because no ordinary angel is clove like this clove with a cloud verse 1 uh, the Shekinah glory cloud he's got a rainbow around his head the rainbow of the of the Noah covenant no ordinary angel his head in his face shining like the Sun like on the Mount of Transfiguration, his feet as pillars of fire, like uh, burning in a furnace, just like in the Tabernacle of Moses. And has in his little, uh, in his hand, a little book open. I haven't got time to digress on this, but this little book here is the book of Daniel. He's got his right foot on the sea and left foot on the earth because the Antichrist comes out of the sea, the false prophet comes out of the earth, and Jesus has got everything under his feet. Everybody said hallelujah. Amen. And uh, so as John's standing there, he's this voice uh, saying, I want you to go in verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven uh, spake to me again say, and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stood, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book, the little uh, Greek word for any book is Biblios, but give me the little Bible, the little Biblios. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach or make your belly bitter, but it shall be sweet in your mouth as honey. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand, ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, uh, my belly was bitter. Uh, You know what I call this, this is God's Chinese meal, it's the the sweet and sour, how many like Chinese meal, sweet and sour, well the Bible is God's Chinese meal, it's sweet and sour. When you're you're here tonight, you enjoy it, sweet, but wait till you get outside. And it gets into your belly and starts to work and you experience, then you find it's a sweet and sour thing, God's Chinese meal. So part of the deal of God's dealing in our lives is we all have to have our maras, we all have to have a little bit of God's Chinese meal. And we find the same thing happened in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 1 to 11. Now let's go to your notes, let us see here. Uh, let us see Collins' dictionary as I was thinking about what I'd share tonight and just uh, some of the words, some of my own experience. Uh, Collins' dictionary says that the word bitter uh, actually means bite. You know, it's got a bite to it and having a peculiar, acrid, pungent, biting taste. It's like wormwood, causing pain or smart to the sense of feeling or pain or distress to the mind characterized by sharpness severity or cruelty it's mournful distressing bitterness a state of feeling bitter extreme hatred or enmity and then uh, the dictionary went on there bittersweet uh, referring to a slender climbing plant whose root when chewed produces a bitter then a sweet taste all right so now as i as i said before all of us uh, you know, have our Maori experiences, and uh, it's just part of the package. Since the fall, when uh, Adam and Eve fell, Mr. and Mrs. Adam fell, messed us all up. And we're certainly going to talk to them when we get to heaven, aren't we? Say, listen here, Adam, remember it's ladies first, too. Uh, you really messed us up. Did you see what happened on the late planet Earth? All because you ate of that little apple? Well, if it was an apple. But uh, li- life is full of the bitter and the sweet. And, uh, you know, all of us tonight, if we had time to testify, uh, all of us have it in our experience. So none of us are exempt from uh, Maori experiences. None of us are exempt from God's Chinese meal, sweet and sour. And all of us could testify. So uh, on my first note here, I've got uh, the issue is, it is not what happens to us that counts as much as our response to what happens. Let me say that again, you might like to take this down and remember what I said last week, this is to help you and also to help others. So the issue is, it's not what happens to us that counts as much as our response to what happens. So one more time, the issue is it's not what happens to us that counts as much as our response to what happens. We either respond negatively, uh, positively or we react negatively. So respond or react. So it's not what happens to us so much that counts, it's what our response is to what happens. So we can either respond, which is a positive response, or we can react, and that's negative. Now, over, over, over the years, uh, one of the greatest lessons I, um, well, hopefully I've learned, uh, is that no matter what happens in my life and what experiences I go through, I must respond. I must have a, re- a, a positive response and not react in a negative way. So, as I said, you know, I'm always hesitant to uh, sort of share on these things. And uh, all of us, like uh, last week, you know, we all, ha- all have sore spots. I've got some sore spots on my body. They're healed, but if you sort of touch them and open them, there's still a sore spot there sort of opening all wounds. So, all of us have that. And uh, that's why sometimes I find it very hard to talk about some of these things. So uh, over the years, I've, uh, I, I hopefully I've learned this lesson that uh, yeah, no matter what I go through, I must respond positively and not react negatively. All right, I'd, I'd like you to take this uh, saying down, and we'll be sort of working through this in a little while here. Uh, many years ago when I was going through, and uh, I know this sounds... Well, I can laugh about now, but I've sort of had three excommunications. How many of you had? (laughs) And not because I was a bad boy, but because I wanted to go on with God. I'm going to talk about that. And you see, what was going to happen? Was I going to become bitter or better? So I remember a number of years ago on my, what was it, the second or third one? (laughs) yeah. Maybe excommunication is a strong word, but uh, just getting the left foot of fellowship. Let's put it that way. Okay. But I remember uh, over the years, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me personally when I was going through some of these things. And uh, I'd like you to take it down because uh, in order to help you or help others, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Kevin, you will go through a bitter experience, but do not become bitter. So you will go through a bitter experience, but do not become bitter. And the experience will either make you bitter or better. Let me say it again. So you will go through a bitter experience, but do not become bitter. The experience will make you better or bitter. How many think that's a good word from the Lord? So I just felt the Holy Spirit say, Kevin, you're going to go through a bitter experience, but don't, come, uh, don't become bitter. The experience will make you better Or bitter bitter or better we'll be looking at a scripture later on that I want you to look at in your Bible but I'll read it for now the full soul loathes the honeycomb but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet I'll give you the scripture later on I want to refer to again so the full soul loathes the honeycomb but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet now, last week I sort of covered, you know, within brief, uh, just my younger years when I was born and uh, the, the, uh, the way I had to seek the Lord to help me concerning my birth and that. And I sort of covered a little bit on the main spots on my uh, youthfulness right through to about almost 18 years. And uh, so I sort of want to pick up a few things from there. Uh, about 1943, uh, I joined the, the Air Force. And uh, 18 months after I joined up, the war finished. No thanks to me, of course. Uh, So don't take any glory. And I was sent off to Townsville, 18 years of age. And just as I said last week, a bit of a drippy, spacey spacey kid. And uh, I remember them saying to us, well, all you guys in the Air Force, you're just cannon fodder. You're just being shot off. That's all you are. And uh, I remember in those years, I'd accepted Christ when I was 14 years of age. In the Salvation Army, sought to witness. uh, Would put my Bible on my uh, in, the, in the barracks there, on my pillow, and the, the officer would come through and expression, get that rubbish off your Bible. And uh, I remember one time, uh, you know, being in an office as mess as I was, uh, not in a mess, but just in the, the office's mess. It was a mess too. I mean, those guys, they were so filthy, those men, and used to swear and cuss. And I remember one time they were saying to me, uh, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Uh, and I was, you know, just a little dumb uh, kid there. And I said, well, look, if you can show me a contradiction in the Bible, I'll, I'll, I'll give up being a Christian. They said, okay, you get your Bible. So I remember going up, to my, uh, up the barracks there and getting my Bible, and I had a big black one in those days that's how you get a seat on the train. Uh, because the moment people see that black book, he's got a Bible, you can have my seat, you're welcome. Uh, just try it sometime. They're scared to death of that book. If it's a red cover or, you know, all, all the psychedelic stuff, you might get away with it. Anyway, so I put the, uh, the Bible on the officer's table there and they were flipping over the pages. And I mean, I just felt like Elijah. I was just laughing at him. They turn and go, oh, it's in... Uh, revolutions or something Uh, and some other guy isn't it in Matthew and they've flipping it back and forth, and I'm just standing there laughing. And finally they said, well, we can't find it. So I'm still a Christian, so I didn't have to go. So, but they were tough days. And uh, uh, at, the, at the time there, 18 years, uh, 18 years, 18 months in the Air Force, I remember an ex-missionary actually tried to seduce me. I remember him taking me down. And sometimes even now at my old, old age, I look back and think, I just break out in a sweat and just thank the Lord for his preserving grace uh, as I talked about last week, and I remember him taking me down some of the pornographic shops and trying to excite me and, and uh, get me involved in uh, homosexuality. And I was, I was oblivious, but I just thank God that he preserved me and, uh, and voices would come to me. Don't, don't. And, and now in hindsight, I just re- realized that was the Holy Spirit just preserving me. From, uh, from an evil lifestyle and as I told you last week I tried to smoke uh, again I don't know how to suck or blow now because uh, when I was younger I used to use horse manure uh, wrapped up in newspaper uh, so, but, but even in spite of that I was a yo-yo Christian very up and down up and down everything like that but uh, I remember uh, kneeling down in the train and praying there and then uh, even in the barracks I'd kneel down beside my bed and pray before I hopped in the bed I would get pillars thrown at me and yelling at me and cussing and everything anybody ever done that you're looking at a dumb brave boy <laughs> but god preserve me and uh, so uh after after uh, 18 months uh, the war finished and took me a while to be demobilized uh, but it just felt in those years, just that restraining hand of the Lord upon my life. And uh, then I came out and I, uh, having been converted in the Salvation Army when I was 14, I joined the Salvation Army band up at Box Hill here and learned to play an instrument, three instruments, one at a time, of course. Now, I don't know how to suck or blow. But uh, you, you, you people here, well, maybe not you people, all the people out there, you don't know how lazy you are. I'll tell you my Salvation Army lifestyle. I mean, talk about religious fanaticism. This was a Sunday's meeting. Okay, I would get up 7 a.m. and we would be at knee drill. Anybody know what knee drill is? It's this. It's being on your knees, drill, praying, seeking God. So I had knee drill, 7 a.m. 9 a.m., I'd have a band spiritual meeting. 10 a.m., I'd be preaching out in the open air meeting, rattling the box. In fact, one officer told me if the Salvation Army would pay their tithes and offerings, they wouldn't have to beg in the pubs. I used to hate it, going into the pub and shaking the box under their arm and giving them a war cry, or just a cry anyway, and they put a lousy threepence in. Does anybody know what a threepence is? I found it was better to pay your times anyway. uh, So 10 a.m. open air meeting, 11 a.m. holiness meeting, 2 p.m. Sunday school, 3 p.m. praise and testimony meeting, 6 p.m. open air meeting, 7 p.m. salvation or gospel meeting. So what are you worried about when you come to one meeting? You backslidden bunch. And then I told you this morning how. Uh, I got hold of Evangeline Booth's book on uh, on aggressive Christianity and uh, how it just stirred up. Let me just read a little bit. I photocopied tonight. Uh, and, and she says in this book, did they not wait thus and did not the Holy Spirit come? And when he came, he sat upon each of them and filled them all, the women, as well as the men. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He came and my friends, he comes yet. My bodily senses have been quite cognizant of his coming sometimes. We only know that we feel something that so influences our bodies that we cannot describe it. In the north, when I was there, Uh, we had an all night uh, prayer prayer which 1,000 people admitted by ticket waited all night on God. The meeting began at 10 and went on until 6 in the morning and there were strong men, men in middle life, all men lying on on their faces on the floor. There were doctors there who examined them and tried to account for it from physical causes but they could not. It was the power of God. The Holy Spirit does come and because in coming thus into our souls and thus filling us, he sometimes prostrates our bodies. People rebel as they did on this occasion reject the manifestation and say excitement, fanaticism. What right of you to say that the Holy Spirit coming into a human soul can operate upon that soul to the full extent without, to some degree, prostrating the body? We know how people fall under great emotions of anger, grief, and joy. Why? Because the influence of the mind has so affected the body that the body can cannot bear it when the Holy Spirit of God comes into a human soul and opens his mind and quicken, quickens its perceptions and. The enlarges its capacity and swells it with glory, is it an unlikely or improbable thing that the body should sometimes be prostrated under the power of God? Hallelujah. How many feel a little bit of fire with Salvation Army? Used to be blood and fire. Not sure about the blood or the fire. That uh, revolutionized my life. And I began to seek God, hunger after God. And uh, as I said today, you know, I, I'd go to my office and he said, well, in the early army they had it, but they cut it out. And uh, when the power of God would fall in early Salvation Army meetings uh, and people got the baptism spirit and I burst out speaking in tongues, they'd say they were having a, a glory fit. Oh, uh, they're having a fit. Well, God give us some more fits. <laughs> Amen. Those type anyway, glory fits. Well, in due time... Uh, I I went to Abram, and uh, just very briefly on this uh, as I was uh, waiting on the Lord, seeking God, hungry and thirsting after the living God as I said this morning, they that hunger and thirst Uh, I went into my bedroom that night, I didn't want any dinner and as I was just kneeling before the Lord uh, in the bedroom there and by myself, power of God hit me several times and I knew nothing about these things, I hadn't been psyched up or anything, went on the floor under the power of God and I was just singing a Oh, salvation I may cause. Send a new touch of power on my soul, Lord. Send it now. Touch my lips with a call from off your altar. And when I said that, touch my lips, power of God hit me. I began to speak in tongues and just that rivers of living water just burst out of my being. Power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say hallelujah. We don't want to lose that fight, can you say amen? Well, that was my sort of first uh, disfellowshipping because it went round, I'd become demon-possessed, I joined the Scatter-day Saints, I mean, the latter-day Saints, uh, more man, less God. Um, Is this all right? This is not on video, is it? Self-destruct at this point. Yeah, so I became like a speckled bird. He's the guy, he talks in tongues, he's demon possessed, he's got the devil. Anyway, so that was the beginning. First left foot of fellowship. Well, in due time after that, getting onto the year about 1948, somewhere around there, I uh, went into a Pentecostal church, and I remember I was in Caiabra at the time, and uh, just felt the world was perishing, the world was waiting for the manifestation of me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I went to the, uh, the, the minister there and said, look, I'm doing nothing. The world's perishing. Everybody's going to hell. I've got to do something. Anyway, there was no pastor in the in Bendigo uh, Assembly of God Church at that time. And so I was sent off there at the young age of 20, 21 years of age. I, uh, I was a veritable one-man band. I'd been taught in those days. Now, remember... Should I be telling you any of this? Okay. Um, Yeah, so I'd been taught in those days, remember, you're the pastor, and keep the people down in the pew, and always keep that pulpit and pew gap, and never let anybody call you Kevin, you're the pastor. And so I was Pastor Connor. Just think, if I hadn't got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I could have been the general of the Salvation Army. So there was always that gap, you know. So unbiblical, and that's why we don't worry about titles in this place. I mean, you don't find Pastor Paul and Dr. Paul and Bishop Peter and all that business. It was just Peter, James, and John, and Isaiah, Jeremiah. So why do we have these flattering titles? Titular authority, my security blanket. Thank you, Kevin, for that little outburst there. (laughs) And so uh, I got the huge sum of three pounds a week. Does anybody remember the pound? And I had to pay tithes out of that, pay my tithes and offerings, uh, pay the electricity, the gas, and uh, yeah, live off the fat of the land. The fat was here, the land was here. Um, <laughs> uh, But God was very good to me. He gave me uh, favor with the Methodists and the Baptists and the Brethren. used to hold open air meetings, preach on some of the platforms there. And then uh, not long after that, about 1950, 52 coming in those years now, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in uh, a place called Saskatchewan, Canada. And I, look, look, folks, I don't, I don't think you realize how blessed you are. Brother Richard, some of us from the dark ages, will remember this. See, back in my time, it was heresy to believe in revival. I used to have ministers say to me, oh, you're just a little boy, 21 years of age, Bendy goes a hard place and there'll never be revival, there's going to be a great falling away. And when you go back to your church, don't you dare talk about revival. Jesus coming any moment, and there's going to be a great falling away. Well, I went back to my church, and how many of you know, the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you, I preached on the great falling away, and everybody fell away. <laughs> See? I mean, <laughs> you, you, you get what you believe for. I mean, you hear what I'm saying, you know? And it was heresy to believe in apostles and prophets. It was heresy to believe in the laying of the hands and prophecy, and uh, I mean, those days, they brought out all the boogeymans you could get, you know, water baptism. I know one, someone who was water baptized, they held him under too long and he drowned. <laughs> and then I know somebody got the baptism spirit, they were swearing in tongues, oh, how did you know? I got all the words out of Webster's and then, oh, when laying of hands came, don't let anybody lay hands on you. I know someone they laid hands on, he went bald, I mean, you know. I mean. Everything that God does, you know, there's some little boogeyman that comes to scare the living daylights out of you. Well, I'm old enough now not to be scared, except of you. Okay. (laughs) So, I remember at that time, uh, we heard about this uh, revival and this outpouring of the Spirit, Victoria's Church, uh, you know, Apostles and Prophets and Harvest Time, everything like that, and we just waited and God cried, there was much weeping, many, many songs were born out of deep experience, uh, songs and music, and I, I remember at the time, you know, after being a, a pastor, and I'm the pastor, and you're down there, uh, you poor people, you dumb sheep, you know, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) And I came into this fellowship and God was moving by his spirit and we were like Pentecostal Quakers. We'd wait on the Lord there and we knew how to wait on God and wait. And I remember one time I thought, oh, you know, I'm a minister. I've got my credentials. I've got the mark of the beast. What else do you want? I get up there and start. And I was just like a big balloon. You know, I was big and fat. And then as I went on and on, I just went... And sat down like a like a, a, a balloon run out of air. Has anybody seen a, a snail that's run out of spit? <laughs> I think I better stick to my notes. I'm sort of. Um, <laughs> I go for a walk uh, generally every morning about six o'clock, six thirty somewhere in there, and I often see the snails. And they're struggling, they've just run out of spit. And sometimes I say, Lord, sometimes I feel like that, you know. So I kick them over into the grass and just feel sorry for them. So that's the snail ministry. Anyway, so so in those days, you know, we we just cried before the Lord because you see, in those days, my ministry was my Isaac. And I remember how God said, Lay your Isaac on the altar. And that was hard. And we were stripped of ministry. I couldn't do anything, everything. Uh, That was my second excommunication. Got the left foot of fellowship. They said to me, why are you preaching on other platforms? You're not allowed to. And you're believing in heresy. Apostles and prophets, revival. It's all heresy. Feast of tabernacles, restoration of the church, all heresy. And uh, there were tracts written against us at that time. And uh, an apostle and prophet and evangelist came from America at that time. We were in... uh, Well, we were in Sydney, uh, waiting on God, seeking the Lord, praying and fasting... And I'd been praying as I talked last week about some of the things I struggled with as a boy. And I just said, Lord, you know, if this is really you, I'm just a kid of 21 years of age. And I'd just like you to speak to me. Well, the first thing the prophet said to me, and I just got a little bit of prophecy. My son, even before I formed you in the womb of your mother, I knew you. And I laid my hand upon you for you were mine, a vessel chosen to be used of the Lord. Wow, that meant so much to me. See, sometimes when there's ministry of laying on of hands and prophecy, it doesn't mean much to the hearers, but to the person. Wow. And I just thought, well, thank you. And I, I know in those days, I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for days. I said, Lord, just your grace. You've just preserved me over these years. Thank you. Revolutionized my life. Put down Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 25. Proverbs 23, verse 25. In those days, one of the scriptures that was constantly brought to us, buy the truth and sell it not. We paid a price for some of the things that uh, maybe some of you just take for granted in this place, Waver Christian Fellowship, because believe it or not, we are a restoration church. We believe in these things concerning the restoration of the church, but buy the truth and sell it not. And I remember how people came to me and said, if you just don't believe in those things, drop this. We'll give you credentials back. I lost the credentials. I lost the uh, church I had, my big salary of three pounds. Had to go back to work and everything just looked hopeless. Lost my ministry lost the whole thing but just that word buy the truth and sell it not pay a price for it don't give it away cheap and i remember one time i went into uh, an executive meeting and they said kevin if you do this deny the name of the lord jesus christ in baptism and if you drop this and and just make a statement here we'll open all the doors in australia to you you can preach on any platform and it was such a temptation finally i turned around and said read the notice on my back and they said what do you mean i said not for sale that was our second excommunication how, how many are glad, uh, glad that your name's in the book of life up there? You know, someone said to me, you may as well have your name on a sausage roll instead, on church roll. But uh, I do believe in that. But you see, there's a roll up there that's safe and nobody can touch it. Hallelujah. So we paid a price for it. They said to me, I received a letter. Why are you attending another meeting? You're not allowed to preach on other platforms. I was preaching on Baptist, Methodist brethren and open air meetings. You're not allowed to do it. Stop it or you'll you'll have to return your credentials. Uh, In those days, I know it's hard to believe because we're living in such a peaceful generation. Uh, uh, We were having special meetings over in Pran and there were men and people going around putting tracks under the windscreen wipers, warnings, warnings, another warning, and I used to follow them around picking them all up. I've got them home. I think some of the, some of the silverfish have eaten them and they've died with shock. Um, yeah. uh, one time I went to a meeting and a, a fu- foolish gospel, a, a full gospel church. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to repent when I go home tonight. <laughs> Uh, and, the, and the guy come off the platform. They were going to talk on the pyramids about the missing capstone. So I wanted to hear about the capstone, the missing capstone, who pinched it. You know, and I knew I didn't. And uh, <laughs> and the guy come off the platform, the minister, and he said, "Who are you?" I said, "Kevin Connolly." He said, "Out, out, 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 out!" And he kicked me bodily out the meeting. I mean, just like that. I thought, oh, thank you, Father. It was a very interesting study. <laughs> One time. We were preached against. In fact, so many times preached against on Pentecostal platforms. Jesus only, false doctrines, heretics, and everything. Uh, We were in Sydney one time for a rally, uh, and uh, uh, at the end of the meeting, the lady was closing the meeting. Several hundred people there, and she was saying, "Oh God, speak to us. Let there be a prophetic word." Well, you know, I'm full of zeal, and, and 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 yeah, and I just began to prophesy. Nothing very heavy. I didn't prophesy the book of Revelation or the 70-week prophecy or the mark of the beast. I just prophesied about the love of God. And when they looked down and saw who it was, they said, that's the devil. That's the spirit of darkness. They switched off the lights, told everybody to get out. It was total confusion. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Lord. Yeah. Who wants enemies when you've got friends like this? Yeah. Remember another time, some of the students went to, because we didn't want to start another church, uh, we thought there was enough uh, denominations around (laughs) as it was. And so some of the students went to this, and as they were singing the chorus, they said, all you scatterbrained people, leave the meeting. And so the whole congregation clapped their hands and clapped them bodily at the meeting. Oh, I mean, they were glorious days. Yeah, But I'll tell you what, it might be funny now, but it was very hurtful very bitter experience. I thought, why? Just the whole injustice of the thing. Just hard years, just that sense of, of being a reject and just character assassination. If you saw some of the tracks and things written against me, if you saw some of the tapes, I mean, one man in America, I must listen to this tape, he spent a whole whole hour in his session to teach the students that Kevin Connor was one of the worst theologians in existence and he was a heretic of the first order and uh, it was in a the theological cemetery, seminary. Uh, <laughs> Well, what's the difference in some of them? uh, Anyway, the second one, third one, moving on quickly now. We're moving down the scale here, 1956 and 1971. I put 10 years in there because I was in America came into another one and this probably was the hardest one to go through and this was sort of my final excommunication from a denomination. We found out over the years that the man and some of the uh, other people had been involved in multiple immorality with a bunch of women, sorry to say these things, Pentecostal Great church, great truths, but uh, ministers involved with a a number of women. And uh, I remember sitting there because, you know, over these years now, nobody wants you. I mean, Kevin Connor's a reject, and uh, I don't go anywhere because I'm frightened they'll know who I am. So you're Kevin Connor, outdoor, left for the fellowship, and I thought even if I grow a mustache, comb my hair on this side, (laughs) spike it up with gel, they'd still recognize me. Even if I went in backwards, they'd still know. I mean, it was—I mean, it's funny now. Maybe, it's, but it wasn't funny then. It was a bit of experience, and I was either become bitter or better. And so, I remember we'd sit there in those meetings, and it was what I call uh, shrapnel preaching. And uh, so, you get a series of Sunday. There's murmurs in our midst, and God judge the murmurers. And then we get a few Sundays on Absalom, Absalom's in our midst, stealing people's hearts. Uh, and then uh, w- my wife and I, Mark's mother, uh, my first wife, gone to be with the Lord, we lost a baby between Sharon and Mark. And they said that was the curse of God on us for touching the Lord's anointing because nobody else uh, was in the, you know, the Lord's anointed. And then you wouldn't be in the bride. I mean, I, I know this sounds crazy. I was so desperate to be in the Bride of Christ, I've confessed sins I've never yet committed. (laughs) You know, I was so desperate. I mean, when you go through this, you either become bitter or better. I mean, hear what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm just sharing my experience, but I'm sure a lot of you have been through similar things. That's what our lesson's about, either becoming bitter or better. So I received a letter in due time on my third lot here, You're not welcome on any of these platforms until you repent of the evil that I was doing. And I'm still trying to find out what evil I was doing. And uh, so I was taught against in Bible colleges. We've had people sometimes come to Waverly and say, Kevin, you were priests against, you were an Absalom, you were stealing hearts, you're going to never get anywhere, the curse of God's on you. And I just said, well, you know, just the whole injustice of it all. And... uh, you know, the sad thing is when the whole thing eventually surfaced about the multiple uh, people involved in immorality, they came and apologized to me and uh, for the damage that was done. But, you know, it was the injustice of the whole thing that hurt the most. So, well, Lord, not because I've done anything wrong, I want to go on with you. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the gifts of the Spirit. I want to believe in apostles and prophets. I want to believe in the glorious church. I wanted to believe in these things. And so, even though this may have come across funny, it took a lot of prayer and seeking God and a lot of tears over those years, I can assure you. And those of you who've been through anything like this, and I'm sure you have, uh, I had to learn some lessons. All right, I want you to go down like I did last week and uh, uh, go down to some lessons that I've learned over the years on this. And I'd like you to take these uh, down what you can. And give you a couple of scriptures here. All right, lessons I've learned. So how many identify with what I'm saying tonight? And know it's come across a little bit humorous. It wasn't funny at the time. And a lot of seeking God and us and Lord to help me. Okay, so number one, lessons learned. Number one, I have learned that bitterness generally never hurts the person you are bitter against. Even if they are wrong, it destroys you. Let me say that again. I think it's such a great lesson, a great lesson I've learned. I have learned that bitterness generally never hurts the uh, the person you're bitter against. Even if they are wrong, it destroys you. Let me say it again just one more time. I've learned that bitterness generally never hurts the person you are bitter against. Even if they are wrong, it destroys you. So I realized that that was a big lesson to learn. Lord, this just makes me so mad, the injustice of it all, being kicked out place after place for whatever going on with God. So bitterness generally never hurts the person you're bitter against, even if they're wrong, it destroys you. Number two, second lesson I learned out of this was, bitterness poisons your spirit. Bitterness poisons your spirit. And one scripture I'd like you to put down there, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. All these uh, lessons are interrelated here. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, put down verse 15. Hebrews 12, verse 15. And listen to what Paul says, I believe it is. He says, um, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So bitterness poisons your spirit. And you know, saints, bitterness is actually like a root of cancer. It has roots. And just like cancer spreads its roots through the body, that's what it does. Bitterness poisons spirits like a a root of cancer. Uh, Acts 8.23, put down. Acts 8.23, uh, when Peter spoke to Simon the sorcerer, he said, I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness. So the gall of bitterness, uh, his, 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 his spirit was bitter. All right, lesson number three. Am I going too fast? Number three, uh, I, I have learned that bitterness of spirit poisons everything you are and do and say. I'd like to amplify on that a little bit. But number three, I have learned the bitterness of spirit. So once your spirit is poisoned with bitterness, bitterness of spirit poisons everything you are And everything you do and say, put down in connection with that. And then I'll say it again: Psalm sixty-four verse three. Psalm sixty-four verse three, and it says where David is lamenting. They shoot out their arrows, even bitter words. And words hurt. Words hurt. You know that. Bitter words. How they hurt. They're like a knife in you. And bitter words. They shoot it. Shoot their arrows even bitter words. And so let me say that statement again. I have learnt the bitterness of spirit poisons everything you are, do and say I remember a brother said to me a number of years ago, and in connection with this, it would be good to write down, whatever is in your spirit comes out through your words. Beyond your words, people hear your spirit. Now I may not say everything right and clear tonight, everything, but how many honestly pick up my spirit? See, so beyond our words, People pick up on your spirit. So I've learned that over the years, that beyond my words, I may not always say it right, or be an orator or anything like that, but people pick up your spirit. That's the thing, because you impart what's in your spirit, beyond your words. So it's important to keep your spirit clean. Bitterness, see i found, your preaching, your teaching, whatever you're doing, bitterness flavours everything you do. Listen to uh, Romans 3.14. Romans 3.14 here. And it says, Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and the poison of asps is under their tongues. Now, it's not just physical, uh, symbolic, it involves the spirit. So their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, Poison of asp is under their tongues. I read a book a number of years ago on divine healing and this brother gave an illustration and I've never been able to check it out, of course. And he says, you know, when a person is full of bitterness and it's in their spirit, it actually poisons our our saliva. And he gave an illustration where this man was in such a, a fit of temper and so angry and raging that they actually took some of the spittle from his mouth and injected it into a wee little baby guinea pig and the guinea pig died. And he went on to say, I was trying to find it to read it to tonight, but he went on to say how that when we, we are bitter and it's in our spirit, it actually just does what this scripture, the poison of asp. Their mouth is full of bitterness and cursing and it actually poisons our system. We're poisoning ourselves. Number four, and uh, this sort of relates to it. Number four, I have learned that bitterness poisons the physical system Exactly why I said it poisons the saliva and poisons the stomach. So number four, I have learnt the bitterness poisons the physical. So you not only poison your spirit, it affects you physically. Poisons the physical system and poisons the saliva and poisons the stomach. All right, number five, quickly, just our time's almost up here. Number five, uh, related to one I've said before. Bitterness, I have learned that bitterness defiles others. Bitterness defiles others. Hebrews 12 and verse 15, I read it before. Uh, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, and see, sometimes you say, God, give me grace to handle this. We fail at the grace of God. Why? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And I've found out my years in talking to people, say, so I, 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 I don't want to pick up what's in your spirit. You've got a bitter spirit. And, and we pick up other people's offences. We pick up other people's problems and uh, we don't know the details always and it bit- uh, embitters us. So bitterness defiles others, a root of bitterness springing up. All right, number six. And uh, I'd like to give you this scripture again. If, uh, uh, in fact, I'll give you the scripture and then uh, quote this. Um, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 7. Proverbs 27 verse 20, uh, 7. And it says, let me just find that verse again. To the hungry soul, yes, here it is, uh, the full soul loathes the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Wow, that's a verse. And you know, as I said today, because I've had such a passion and hunger for God, bitter things become sweet. It's God's Chinese meal. I say, Lord... Help me, I'm going through a bitter experience, but don't let me become bitter. So if you are hungry for God, then you can go through a bitter experience but not become bitter, but better. How many can say amen to that? You don't let it get into your spirit. That's the thing. Put down Second Corinthians chapter seven, second Corinthians chapter seven, and verse one, and it says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Bitterness is a filthiness of the spirit. We may not be guilty of sins of the flesh, but sins of the spirit are more subtle. So bitterness. And then finally, number seven, and then I want to just say one other thing in concluding. Bitterness is a sin, and it has to be put away. It has to be repented of. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away. Ephesians 4 verse 31. It's a sin that needs to be repented of. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. How often a spirit of bitterness gets into marriage and destroys marriages. Wow. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. James uh, 3.14, James 3.14, 4, uh, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, so the danger of bitter, bitter water is coming out the heart. Now let me just finish on this as you go to the bottom of the sheet. And as I've shared this tonight, I hope it's helped you because all of us go through it, not just me, we could all tell our story. What has helped me over the years? A lot of prayer, a lot of seeking God, a lot of tears, a lot of crying, A lot of hurts over the thing, but seeking the Lord. And you know the thing that helped me the most was what I've got down the bottom of your uh, your outline there. Go for a long visit to Calvary. Kneel at the foot of the cross and the miracle will happen for you. So we go to Calvary and consider Jesus on the cross. What's he there for? I mean, he was perfect. He was innocent. And yet look at all the things that Jesus went through nothing that we go through can compare with I mean they called him illegitimate they said we're not born of fornication they referred to him as an illegitimate child he was cast out of the synagogues I mean he had his excommunications he was hated by religious leaders he was reviled and just the whole injustice of his trial by political and religious authorities he was spat upon, mocked scourged, crucified how many would say that Calvary was a bitter experience. Jesus went through a bitter experience, but he did not become bitter. That's what I'm talking about. And I say to people, how do you handle it? In his dying moments, Jesus could say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I talk to people who go through this, say, hey, why don't you just go and kneel at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus went through a bitter experience, but he didn't become bitter. He was better and said father forgive them you know not what you do that's it so becoming bitter or better how many want to become better well why don't we just bow our heads we have just got about two minutes here why don't we bow our heads and uh i've just been praying about this less tonight. and let's all close our eyes no looking around maybe maybe through what i've shared tonight maybe there's somebody here tonight maybe there's a few of you and say kevin That's what I'm going through, my own experience. And I'd just like the Lord to help me not to become bitter, but to become better. It will be a bitter experience. We're not denying that. But you can become better and not become bitter. That's what I'm saying. And you're here tonight and you just say, Kevin, I'd like you to pray as we close in. Just pray for me. Just pray for us. Why don't you lift your hands wherever you might be. Just, yes, here, here. Here at the back, yes. Over to my right, yes. Over here, thank you, sister. Over to my right, yes. Over on my left here, yes. Thank you, God bless you. You can put your hand down. Way at the back there, yes. God bless you. Yes, up the middle here, thank you. Anybody else? I don't, I don't want this just to be a, you know, another session, but just God to do something in our hearts. And I just pray, you know, we'll begin a new, exp- uh, a new generation. We'll become better, not bitter. We will go through the bitter experience. I'm not promising you that. Uh, It's just been worse each time for me. I hope there's no more to come. hope I've had my cup, you know. But, uh, yeah, just kneel before the cross. Let's all stand together. Why don't we just join our hands across the auditorium as we close in prayer. Our our time's up. Let's join our hands together. Father, we just stand in your presence and uh, we join our hands outwardly. We join our hearts inwardly. And Father, I just pray that what we share tonight will help us all. I pray particularly, Father, for every brother and every sister who raised their hand. Uh, You just see what they're going through. Uh, Bitter experiences, Lord. I just pray in the name of Jesus that just as you help me over these many years, Lord, not to let it get in my spirit. Even though I went through the experience, Lord, just by your grace and by a revelation of Calvary, you didn't let it get in my spirit. Father, that what I impart to people is something better, not something bitter. So I pray for every brother and sister who raised their hand, Father, that you'll let the miracle of Calvary take place in their hearts and in their lives, in their minds, in their thoughts, in their attitudes, in their spirit. Do it, Lord Jesus. Let there be a a, a revelation of the cross and all you went through for us. Nothing we go through, Lord, can compare with Calvary. We thank you, Lord Jesus, For everything you did for us on the cross, you didn't do it for yourself, you did it for us, so that we would not be uh, bitter, but we'd be better. Seal this word to all of our hearts, Father, and as it helps us, help us to help others, we ask in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, you are dismissed. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.